This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Thanks for joining us today on this edition of the Side Alpha Podcast. We're joined today by Linda Willis. Linda is uh, retired from the Boulder, Colorado Fire Department. She retired there in 1998 after 18 years, where she served as a company officer. Uh, Prior to that, Linda worked for the National Park Service as a rescue ranger. Since her retirement, Linda has been the president of uh, Real World Training and Consulting, a company where she's been working with many uh, companies and departments, developing training programs in areas like conflict resolution. Uh, In 1982, Linda was co-founder of Women in the Fire Service, known today as Women in Fire. Linda is also a columnist with Fire Rescue One, and she serves on our editorial advisory board. Linda, I thank you for joining us today. And we were talking a little bit offline about some of the challenges for women in the fire service. Can you talk about challenges for women in the fire service in the 21st century? Sure, and thanks for having me today, Mark. Um, You know, statistics say that women uh, compose only about 10% overall of uh, firefighters, but that's a little misleading because that includes both uh, career and volunteers, and in some volunteer departments, women are quite well represented. Um, Many career departments, women are less than 5%, in some of them, they're less than 1%, and in some departments, there's still only one woman. I mean, you still read stories about the first woman being hired in a department, so it still is unusual, and people are still not used to seeing a woman in that role, and and that makes it challenging for both the women who are in that role and the people that they work with. Um, You know, fire stations have not been designed historically to include both men and women, and that's been a challenge as well. Um, Emergency gear, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot better now than it was when I first became a firefighter in 1980. But there are still issues with uh, getting gear to fit and uh, having maternity policies in place and and all those things that really should be pretty basic and assumed by this point, I think. Yeah, and that's uh, definitely still a challenge. And I share with you the surprise, actually uh, more flabbergasted, when I see those articles still today of someone being the first woman being hired uh, or we have a station where, uh, I know there's still lots of stations around the country where we're still flipping a sign on the bathroom door because there's a female in the mm-hmm. bathroom. Um, I mean, those things are things we should have been passed, but I also recognize, and especially a lot of our uh, rural departments uh, where money is not, uh, they're not flushing money. But, you know, building extra buildings and building additional bathrooms are things that some of these departments and companies just can't um, just, just can't do. So uh, as long as we're working towards making accommodations and trying to do better, I think for some of those, they feel like that's the best they can do right now. You know, what can chiefs do, and not just talking about women in the fire service, but talking about diverse workforces in totality, what can chiefs do to ensure that they're developing an inclusive work environment, and including facilities and whatnot? Well, um, I'm going to give you an answer and then I'm going to explain it because I think the short answer is that you have to genuinely value diversity. 
So let me expand on that because, you know, you say something like that and, and I mean, I teach firefighters, I work with them all the time and you say something like value diversity and there's people in the back row rolling their eyes, you know. Um, when I talk about diversity, there's two levels of diversity. Diversity is a legal issue. It's about um, representing the makeup of your community and um, adhering to what the law says about being inclusive, and that's very important. But the diversity that I think matters more is the diversity of how people think and what their experiences are and what their insights are, um, their perspectives on things. Those, that kind of diversity comes along with demographic diversity. I mean, if you grow up female versus male, you're going to have different life experiences. If you grow up in an urban environment versus a rural environment, you know, different races, ethnicities, and so forth, all of those contribute to different life experiences and outlooks. But I think sometimes what fire departments do is they hire people that look different, you know, because they don't want to get sued or because they're trying to do the right thing or whatever the reason is. But then once those diverse people are on the department, they insist that they think and act exactly like everybody else that's there. And that loses the benefit of having all those differences come in if you suppress those differences once they're there. And I see that a lot um, historically in the fire service, that there is that that go along to get along, don't make waves, don't distinguish yourself in any way, be part of the team. There's a lot of benefit to that, but there's also loss in that when it comes to um, really using the resource that you have in the people that you bring into the organization. Yeah, and you know, Grandma Jones doesn't care whether you're a man or a woman, black or white, uh, doesn't care whether you act the same way or not. She cares that when she needs you, you show up and you do the right thing. And I think uh, for me, when when I hear some of those things that you talked about, I'll call them excuses from people of uh, chiefs of why they can't find women or they can't find minorities of any kind. More often than not, it's it's much more of a cultural barrier within the organization than it is reality within the community. So well, uh, right. I, I certainly appreciate the perspective. Well, and that comes up, you know, and you'd mentioned the generational issue, and that comes up with that a lot. I mean, I hear people, generational issues, one of the biggest diversity issues that I come across in my work. And I, I hear all the time people saying things, you know, sort of the kids these days, they're not like us, you know, they're terrible and they're not as good as we were and all, you know, all of these things. And yeah. I, I just, I just laugh when I hear it because it's like, Hey, this is, this is the only generation you've got. Where, where are you going to find another one? This is it. Right. Deal with right. it, you know? Yeah. So yeah, they're different. Every generation has been different. Every single generation has been different. And one of the things that, that I always think of is you want to give people, all young people, you want to give them the opportunity to achieve and to excel and give them the opportunity for greatness. And if you give them those opportunities and you allow them, you, you support them and you allow them and to use their natural abilities and, and the things that they bring that are unique, you're going to have a good outcome. You know, one of the things that makes me uh, laugh, you may be familiar with this, but, um, you know, I'm, 
my undergraduate degree is in history, so I'm a real history, history buff. And um, if you read uh, articles, magazines, and newspapers from the 1930s, the so-called greatest generation that we talk about, you know, that, that came to its prime during World War II, that generation in the 1930s were, was considered to be a bunch of slackers. Mm -hmm. um, they were not talked about favorably by their elders at that time. No, no generation is. <laughs> um, right. But they were given an opportunity through World War and the privations of the time and all the challenges. They, that generation was given its opportunity to be great. And I think that's possible for any generation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we kind of rolled around the, the generational gaps. And we hear Generation X, Y, Z, the millennials, uh, the greatest generation. You know, the, the understanding of that, and you, you touched on it just a little bit, but talk about that for Chiefs. What's, wh why is it important to understand those differences and how do they bridge those gaps, you know, from some of these Chiefs that are coming out of the XY area and they have uh, new people, Zs, coming in? How do they bridge those gaps between the generations? Well, the, the younger generations that are coming into the workplace now are different. There's no question about it. They're different from the generation that I was in. I'm a baby boomer, you know, and we're considered obsolete now in, in the workplace for the most part, although still holding a lot of power in many organizations. Um, young people grew up differently, and that has to be acknowledged. Um, they, they expect to give and receive more feedback. That is just normal. That's how they grew up. They're technologically savvy, um, but they assume technology as a, as a tool of communication to the point where some of them are not as comfortable with uh, in-person, one-on-one types of interactions. Um, these, these are not fatal flaws. These are just differences. And chiefs and people in leadership positions and organizations need to understand this, and they need to capitalize on the strengths that these young people are bringing in with them and, um, and help them with the areas where they need help. I mean, the same as yeah. it's always been. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and, you know, getting chiefs to realize just what you said there, those differences do not equate fatal flaws. I love the way you said that, and it really is uh, important to understand capitalizing on, on what you can from these uh, folks is, is what's going to pay dividends for you, which kind of leads me into mentoring. Um, you know, we, we meaning the fire service, we talk, I think, a lot about mentoring. I'm not sure we do enough about it. And I know that. I agree. Uh, yeah, I, I, I know that it's uh, really important to have mentoring programs, but it's even more important when uh, for for people when not many in the workplace look like them. Right. So let's talk a little bit about mentoring and what's the best way for us to build a mentoring program for everybody. Well. I have mixed feelings about mentoring, formal mentoring programs. I think they can do a lot of good. Um, I think the best mentoring experiences are ones that just happen, that, that people connect and they 
find something in common and they find their ability to help one another with whatever it is, the goals that they're trying to reach and, and they enjoy one another's company. Um, that's how mentoring has historically happened traditionally. Um, unfortunately, that tends to happen um, mostly among people who uh, are more alike. That's human nature, that we tend to feel more comfortable and attracted to people that are like us. And so there hasn't been as much um, cross-cultural, cross-generational, cross-gender, you know, any of those categories. There hasn't been as much mentoring in that way in the fire service because it's, you know, it's just natural for people to to kind of affiliate with people who are like them. Um, I would say, though, that if people have the ability and are encouraged and the, the space to really get to know one another in a, in a deep way where those differences can come out in, a, in an interesting way as opposed to an alienating way, that I think people will find that they may have differences, but they have a lot in common as well. But it takes that, that effort and it also takes the space to do it, sort of the, the expectation that that's going to happen, that people are allowed to bring their whole selves to the job, that you want them to, not that they're just allowed to, that you want them to, because yeah. that's when you get the best out of them. That's when they provide to you their full potential. Yeah, and I, I think one of the things you said there really resonates with me, and that that's we are much more alike as individuals than we are different. And if people will allow themselves to see that, I think their success uh, will will be tenfold more or tenfold better than it will be if they continue to keep the blinders on. I came from a very diverse area of Prince George's County, uh, Maryland, where um, that strength of diversity was huge in my development and, and ability to succeed mm -hmm. um, in that fire service. So I know coming from uh, that system in Prince George's County, uh, in all of the national capital region, uh, and then spread around the country, but certainly that is a microcosm of the United States, uh, that there are challenges for women getting into the upper ranks, but it really has begun to blossom. Uh, there are four jurisdictions right now, right in the national capital region, that have female fire chiefs. So some tremendous work has uh, happened there to help break those barriers and get people uh, grown from within into those positions. So the, um, the, the question for you then becomes, and to help others, other um, female firefighters that might be listening that want to aspire to be chief of an organization somewhere, what is it that they need to be doing now, and how can they help themselves break those barriers and help others see that they have contributions to make and that what they may see as weaknesses, people may see as weaknesses today, are not those fatal flaws. What can those people do? Well, I think it's true for men and women both. Um, I think women perhaps need to make more of an effort to make sure that they're engaged with their departments, that they're taking opportunities that exist for education, for professional development. Um, you know, they're going to have to pay their dues. They're going to move up through the ranks the same as anybody else. Um, understand, you know, that rather than saying, oh, I want to be chief of the department, say, you know, I want to be the best engineer that I can be. I want to be the best company officer that I can be. 
um, and then, you know, just move steadily up and, and get the support you need along the way. I mean, there are support systems out there. There's um, professional groups. There's networking groups for, you know, specifically for women, uh, women in fire being one of them. Um, you know, the National Fire Academy has been very good about trying to get uh, women. I went to the National Fire Academy for the first time in 1981. They'd only been open, I think, for a year at that point. Um, and it was tremendous, you know. I mean, it's a great opportunity for people to go and, and meet firefighters and, and other professionals from the emergency services from all over the world. So um, I think all of those things, you know, I mean, but it's the long haul, you know, you're, you're going to be in it for the long haul. And I think that, that people have to, to design their lives so that there are support systems in place for when things get hard, because they will. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I didn't mention in the beginning, um, Linda, you, you mentioned the National Fire Academy. I believe uh, we were talking before the call, uh, you actually served as an instructor with the executive fire officer program at National Fire Academy for over 20 years. Um, yeah, so and I did some uh, curriculum development for them as well with that program. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. No, it's great, uh, and I know that uh, the National Fire Academy is uh, doing a lot to try and attract all kinds of folks to uh, their programs, not just the executive fire officer program, but all the programs that they do. So it's great to hear that you were there. So we did talk about. Uh, chiefs, and we've talked about, you know, a lot of different people becoming chief and those things. Um, you've talked about before the company officer um, being a passion of yours. Uh, why is it important for the company officer to really be thinking about inclusion and to be given the supports that they need? Company officers, to me, are some of the most important people in the fire service, um, and they, they need the most in terms of development and support, and they often get the least. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, a, a lot of these issues of diversity and acceptance and mentoring and all of those issues that we've talked about, a lot of it starts right there in the attitude and the abilities of that person in that role. And if that person is, is better prepared and better supported, I, I think that that is a lot of where change begins. Linda, I want to thank you for joining us here today. Uh, once again, we've been talking with Linda Willing, a retired fire officer. Uh, she is also a columnist here with Fire Rescue One and serves on our editorial advisory board. We'll talk to you next time here on the Side Alpha Podcast.